Coming up in this episode of Not So Secret Dad's Business. It's hard. It's hard to navigate. Like I said before, you know, when I'm holding my current son, you know, I'm obviously extremely happy because I have a son and he brings me joy and he's a happy baby and he smiles when he sees me and brings you all the joy that being a dad brings you. But then you start to kind of waffle with yourself and back and forth and you're like, ah, well, should I even be this happy because I still have a dead son? And it, it you know, it's blunt and it's, it's messed up, but you go you know, back and forth with trying to balance all of the the negative behind what you've experienced and all the obvious joys and positivity that you should have over being a father. Are you new to fatherhood? Not sure if you're dadding to your full potential? Well, you've come to the right place. Most dads aren't talking to each other about their lives as dads, like it's some kind of secret. Well, this is the podcast that takes the secret out of fatherhood. This is Not So Secret Dad's Business. G'day, g'day, and welcome to another episode of Not So Secret Dad's Business. So, obviously the last few weeks, Judge and I have been running the show, and we've been having a heap of fun doing it. But this week, I'm bringing you another guest episode because Judge and I just needed a bit of a breather. So today, I bring you a a guest from Pennsylvania. His name is Zach Murphy. Now, he is obviously a dad. This is what the show's about. But he's a player representative for Pro Level Sports Agency. And he is also the owner and creator of a podcast called Breaking Down the Tape which is a podcast he does with his co-host Hector, just covering everything NFL, which is which I think is really cool. I've checked it out myself, and although I'm pretty green when it comes to American football, I quite enjoy it. So in this episode, I sat down with, with Zach, and we talked about his life as a father, not only as a biological father, but also a foster father. So we sat down, we talked about how a stillbirth, a miscarriage had affected his relationship with his wife. We also talk a little bit about how we teach our kids to defend themselves when they're in sticky situations. And uh, Zach even went into quite a bit of depth about the challenges and the changes in his life that came with joining the foster system and becoming a foster parent. So I really enjoyed this, this conversation with Zach and I hope you enjoy it too. So let's get into my conversation, my sit-down, with Zach Murphy, a.k.a. Papa Smurf. How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic, Nate. Thank you for having me on, man. I'm excited to uh, to kind of talk about my experience and and talk to talk to dads. Yeah, thanks, man. Look, I appreciate it as well because I put the call out last year about uh, you know having having dads come on the show, talk about their experiences and that sort of thing, and you answered the call, my man. So I appreciate it. Yeah, happy to do it. You know, kind of like we were talking before. I think it's. Uh, you know, not enough dads kind of talk about where they're coming from and the pressure that's on our shoulders and and the things that we have to do as fathers to to make our families succeed. So I think it's a you know it's a fantastic concept and hopefully this uh, generates a lot of conversations for people. Yeah, hopefully, man. That's that's what I'm working towards for sure. Look, man, as we were emailing each other backwards and forwards, just sort of setting this up, you were you were giving me a little bit of an insight into your background as a father. So, I mean, you're you're a father to a boy? Yeah, yeah. Henry Alexander, man. Got a nice, strong name, and he's doing good so far. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I love the middle name as well. But then again, I'm a little biased as well. I'm, I'm a Nate Alexander, you see, so. Okay, I like it. It was meant to be, brother. And uh, my, my son has the same middle name as well. So there you go. Love it, man. Great choice. So before, before we get to speaking about your, your life as a dad at the moment, Let's let's take it back a little bit because I believe that you've been trying for for children a few times beforehand, and uh, so you're the father to a, a few rainbow babies that have uh, sort of crossed over, my man. 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, my wife and I, we've been married for seven years. Uh, we decided to move a little bit closer back to family. Um, so I'm originally from the East Coast in the U.S. Um, so we were out in the in the Midwest and we decided to move back and start a family. And uh, we got relatively lucky. I mean, uh, we, we got pregnant within the first, you know, year of trying. And uh, unfortunately, um, I mean, everything went great for nine months. For the first nine months, everything went good. Um, one day, my wife felt weird. We went to the hospital. Um, and I chuckled because this is going to sound made up, but I promise to you, it's all real. Uh, we get to the hospital. So I have a background in emergency medicine as well. So I know the look. And uh, they got it. They got her on the Doppler and they weren't finding anything. And the nurse had the look. So I knew at that moment but then they called in the on-call OB. Swear to God, her name was Dr. Grimm. <laughs> and uh, she comes in and, uh, you know, and unfortunately she told us, you know, that they brought in the big Doppler and, and uh, sonogram or whatever it is. And uh, unfortunately, my son had passed away. And, um, you know, at that point, we had to make some really difficult decisions because, you know, they uh, they didn't want to. Um, surgically removed the baby through a C-section since, you know, my wife is a patient at that point. And uh, so the next day, um, you know, she they started to induce and, and she gave birth to our stillborn son. Um, and then unfortunately, uh, from there, it kind of went downhill. Uh, we had a uh, two, two more miscarriages in the following two years um, of varying lengths. One was about four weeks. The other was about eight to nine weeks. And, uh, and yeah, so now we have, we have, like I said, my, my son and, uh, you know, one of those things that even though we were successful this time, you never stop thinking about the past times, you know, about the baby's loss. So, uh, yeah, I've got a, a little bit of a varying degree of experience, unfortunately. Well, tell me, man, how did, how did that affect your mental health in yourself and how did it affect your relationship with your wife as well? Having to go through that. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, so I've always struggled with mental health problems, uh, just within my personal life and upbringings and stuff. Uh, that was uh, pretty difficult. Um, it was it was difficult in the moment because I had to switch from being a husband and a father to a medical professional um, and making certain decisions that were very callous, that, that, but that had to be made for the safety of my wife. Um, and then in the following weeks, I took about two weeks off of work. Um, and I had to get right back to it because staring at my four walls and, and knowing the nursery was right across the hall from our room and just sitting there thinking about it was not uh, was not fantastic. Um, I, I went to a pretty bad place, you know, so I just I had to get out. I had to do things about it. And, and uh, it never goes away. It's not something that ever got healed or fixed um, in my own head. It's things that, you know, on in the quiet of the night when nobody's awake and I'm, I'm doing my own thing at two or three o'clock in the morning, you know, sometimes comes back and gets me and I grab myself, my best friend, my bottle of Jameson, and, and we kind of talk about it a little bit. And as far as like between me and my wife, it, it was difficult, you know, because I'm more of a logical, rational human being, because unfortunately, especially with the stillbirth, there's no reason. Uh, we had an autopsy you know, sometimes you just get screwed by statistics and we just happen to be one of those families that got screwed by statistics. Um, so we don't have an answer. We don't have a reason, you know, and she's she's very emotional and she likes to talk about things and she likes to, to feel those things, which is not wrong. It's just not the way I deal with it. Um, so we had a, a lot of trouble communicating. Um, not that things ever got to like a boiling point or yelling or screaming or anything like that, but it just became cold uh, between the two of us because I would just nod my head and and just be somewhere else mentally while she was trying to to get off of her chest what she needed. Um, we visited a couple different marriage counselors because at the time we were in Delaware and since we've moved up to Pennsylvania, but we've seen a couple different counselors and and helped speak each other's language and understand where each other are coming from. You know, she's very, she likes tchotchke things that kind of remind her, whereas I, I mean, naturally, I wouldn't even have pictures on the wall if I had my way. I'm just not that kind of person. Um, but I, I don't, not that I'll want to forget, but I don't want to be constantly reminded. And so we, we've kind of learned a point that, is this something that I just genuinely don't care about? Or is it something that hurts me? So I'm just agreeing and moving on without thinking about it. So it's, it's taken a lot of work and kind of like the whole mental health thing, it's, it's not something that gets fixed in a day, a month, a year. It's not something that gets fixed. 
it's something that you learn to live with. And kind of speaking of love languages, it's something that we spoke one language before, and now we speak a completely different language. And you learn to, you just learn to live every day, you know? Yeah. And I, I can understand where you're coming from there with the, the communication gap as well. I've done an episode in the past where, where this has come up. And I mean, men are naturally logical thinkers and women rely on their emotions. It very much is a, a situation of men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Yeah, it, it's, you know, my wife and I have always been different in that aspect, but this really highlighted our differences. It's given us a kind of fucked up sense of humor. I'm, I apologize if I'm not supposed to curse, but it's given us a jacked up sense of humor um, certain certain times because you kind of just have to laugh through certain things and uh you know in the in the face of irony of it all but yeah it's really highlighted that and like i said you know it never really goes away uh but it's i mean luckily i found my person i found my best friend i married my best friend seven years ago and, and we refused to stop being best friends so it's something that you know that we constantly work at that's absolutely awesome man you know i mean i didn't i didn't understand that until i met my current partner and uh, it's it's really awesome being in a relationship where you're on the same page and like you you get each other. You know there are there are days that we don't even need to speak to each other because we just we know what's going on. We know what the other's thinking and and or or feeling at the time. And and you know it just sort of comes as second nature sometimes. Yeah, you know, and that's I I, I guess kind of like that was the big paradigm shift is we were in a world that 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 was 100% true, you know, we could finish each other's sentences and we were in the same book on the same letter in the same page. And then this happened and we instantaneously went to completely different universes, not even out of the same book. We were just, we're talking like Marvel and DC. We were in different universes, um, you know, so we had to work to, to kind of get back to there. And uh, now we're now we're on the same page for the most part. I mean, now having a newborn and uh, and a foster daughter, you know, kind of kind of throw off those pages every now and then. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's it's something that you definitely have to learn to to understand something that's far outside of your own mentality. Yeah, definitely. And I'm so glad you guys got got the marriage counseling and the counseling that you both needed personally, because I mean, that definitely helps to to work through things and and that sort of thing. Obviously, grief is something that you're never going to get over. You're still going to have those moments, even 20 years down the track. You're still going to have those moments that still bring you back to that situation. But, I mean, having learned those coping mechanisms definitely helps, especially for men. I know from, from my own perspective, I would get into the habit, if I was in your shoes, get in the habit of just checking out. That's what I do. I like to check out and just be by myself in my own head and just leave me the fuck alone. Yeah, that's pretty much where I was at. And I have to say, you know, my wife dragged me to the counseling. I did not go skipping and hopping happily. Um, and we sat down there in front of the counselor and, you know, my wife, you know, first session, my wife's kind of explaining, you know, why we're here, you know, what's going on. And, and the, <laughs> I got to give the counselor credit. And she looked at me and she's like, all right, so, you know, what do you hope to get out of this? And I was like, well, to be honest, ma'am, and, and I mean, no disrespect, you know, because you're just trying to do your job and I'm sure you're great at it. You're not going to tell me nothing. She goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, one of two things is about to happen. You've never been in my position. So you can't talk to me about it because you don't understand where I'm coming from. You physically can't, uh, not to be too blunt about it, but I was, I held my dead son. You can't understand what that's like until you do it, uh, which I hope no one ever has to do ever again, because it, it's, it's, it's a different feeling, I'll tell you. Or you do know what I'm talking about and you have felt what I felt. And in that unfortunate circumstance, what the hell are you going to tell me? And she, you know, she called me out. She looked me dead in the eyes. And unfortunately, she was in the same position that that my wife and I found ourselves in. And that's why she's doing what she's doing. And, um, you know, she was able to to speak to me on the level that I wanted to be spoken to. And, and she understood me for for how I was saying things. So, you know, it's uh, everyone says, you know, counseling is not a bad thing. And I agree wholeheartedly. But finding the right counselor is super important. Not that they're all bad, but you need to find one that that really connects with you. And I have to say, I was, we were blessed having walked into that particular office. Cause she, 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 <laughs> she talked to me the way I needed to be spoken to. 
Yeah, that's good, man. And I mean, it comes across to me that you're a bit like me. You don't like to beat around the bush or sugarcoat anything. You just sort of say it as it is. And it comes across a bit blunt and a bit uncaring, I guess. Yeah, that's uh, that's a couple of times people have called me out for for not caring they say about it the way that I should and like no I just have unfortunate evidence that life is very short and not guaranteed so I don't have time to to be nice and not that I'm rude and you know purposely but especially speaking about my own uh, you know situation I don't have the the patience or the time to to sugarcoat it so that you don't feel bad because I already feel bad so if we want to talk about it you're going to feel bad too (laughs) So tell me, man, how has life changed for you now that you've you've had that have a newborn in the house and and you've gone through the the throes of early fatherhood? Yeah, man. So um, you know, like I said before, we we moved states, you know, because just being in Delaware after the loss was it, it just everywhere we looked, you know, everything. Every time we went to the beach, the last time we were at the beach was when my wife was even eight months pregnant, kind of situation. So everywhere we went just kind of had this cloud. So we moved up here for a while. You know, we, like I said, we experienced those two other losses and it just, there didn't seem to be a light at the end of the rainbow or at the end of the tunnel, I should say. And, uh, you know, uh, during the pandemic, we actually got into fostering. We became foster parents uh, while I didn't have a job at the time. And uh, while the world was shut down, cause we figured, you know what, if we can't have our own kids, cause that's the way it's looking like, we might as well, you know, provide a, a safe home to kids who need it. And, uh, you know, we're with our third foster placement now and, and we credit her for why and how we got pregnant. Um, you know, she's, uh, she's now six. We've had her for a little over a year and she she's fantastic, but she's high maintenance. So we, we never really focused on getting pregnant or on being stressed about it because we were too busy running to court dates and doctor appointments and running around like chickens with our heads cut off as one does with a five year old. And then before we knew it, you know, the pregnancy had come by and gone by and now. We've got this one, you know, the, our, our biological son in home, and he's uh, getting ready to start crawling, man. He's already ready to flip himself over. You know, we're in a, a position where my wife can work for or stay at home. She doesn't have to work, um, you know, so it's 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 weird, man. It, it's weird coming home every day because obviously I'm super excited because I have a child. You know, I have two of them. I'm blessed, you know, like I said, with my foster daughter, but he's not my first son. And we're happy to have him. Obviously, we always plan for a lot of kids. I'm almost full-blooded Italian. We come from big families. But it's hard. It's hard to see him in the clothes that was supposed to be for my first son. You know, it's hard to... It's hard sometimes. You know, I'm not going to say I'm, uh, that it's, you know, picking him up is easy and, and interacting is easy because it's it's a double-edged sword. I'm super happy. But then at the same time, I feel guilty for being happy because I held my dead son. I shouldn't be allowed to be happy. You know, it's, it's this weird kind of beat yourself up cycle that you have to be very, very careful not to fall down. Yeah, definitely. Look, I mean, I don't know what your your background is when it comes to spirituality and faith and, and all that sort of thing. Myself, I grew up in a, in a Christian household and I now consider myself atheist. But I still come back to that whole thing that everything happens for a reason, right? And I do believe that no matter how long or short our life is, we're here for a reason. And although, you know, you could, you could come up with so many different theories, for your first son, it may have been a simple case of he was brought into this world and taken out before he could really come into this world in order to teach you and your wife a lesson and, and to be able to bring you closer together. I don't know. I'm just speculating. Yeah, man. And you're not, you're definitely not alone in that thought process. And it's something that I, you know, like I said, I talked to my good friend, Jameson in the middle of the night, uh, you know, when nobody's awake and I crack open the bottle to, uh, to, to kind of ponder. Cause I, you know, much like you, I was raised, I was actually raised in a Roman Catholic uh, household. I have a saint's name and everything was confirmed. Um, but since then I've, I'm not a part of the, the Catholic church or Christianity, or I'm actually even the Norse God. So Odin, um, or, you know, the whole, the whole nine, I'm an Odinist. So, you know, that comes with a very kind of like strict belief system that things like the gods don't give a damn about you, right? Like they don't really care about your day-to-day workings because that's between you and all the other people. 
you know, they give you the tools that you need at birth and, and what you need. And if you decide to make something of it, then okay, then you'll get judged, you know, by them and the ancestors, you know, whether you make it to Valhalla or not, or, uh, you know, or, or you won't. And life's up to you. Things happen and they just, they happen. There's no uh, excuse or reasonings behind it. It just, it is what it is. It's the, the, the workings of the world and, and you have to do something with it. And oddly enough, I kind of find more comfort, I guess is a weird way to put that, in that than I actually do. Things happen for a reason uh, because I've always found it hard that things happen for a reason. Like I said, I have a, an emergency medical background. Um, I've seen children die for no reason, I've seen adults die for no reason. I've seen bad people live for no reason. You know, so it's, that's kind of personally hard for me because I see all the things that I've experienced. I'm like, what, what could possibly be the reason? Um, you know, but then at least, like I said, with my own personal faith base, it's, there is no reason. Just life sucks and you have to live it and what you do with it matters at the end. So that kind of gives me that, that go screw yourself mentality kind of gives me some comfort because at least you're not picking the universe isn't picking me out. It's screwing everybody equally. And I just have to deal with my share. Uh, you know, so it's, that's kind of always been something that, that I fall back to, but a lot of people have, have come to me with, uh, everything happens for a reason. I don't know how I always handle it. Uh, you know, cause part of me wants to rage against it and be like, what, 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 what is the goddamn reason? I don't need any more lessons. I've had plenty of lessons. Thank you. You know, and not to rage against you. You like I said, you're not the first person. And then there's other times where, of course, you're coming from a good place. You know what I mean? And I understand where you're coming from, and it makes sense. And I don't know what the right answer is. Yeah, and I can understand that rage as well because, well, maybe not understand it, but I can appreciate that rage because, again, it's a bit like mental illness. Unless you've you've been through it, you you don't know. You really don't know, and so you have no no basis on on which to to base that what you're saying on you know it's like somebody without depression anxiety bpd whatever it may be you know they're just like well think positive be positive and everything will be yeah right positive that's great but then that you've got toxic positivity and you've got positive positivity you know and a lot of that stuff ends up being toxic and being bad for your mental health anyway you know, it's funny that you bring that up, you know, like you said before, you know, the whole purpose of this is to talk about the things that dads generally don't talk about. And there's there's a lot of, you know, walking that fine line, especially in being a lost father, because people are just trying to wish you their best. And from whatever experience they can, you know, and especially with family members, you know, everybody lost somebody, right? You know, like my mother lost a grandchild, you know, and, and my sister lost a nephew and, and everybody tries to navigate feelings without feeling what you are feeling because nobody lost a son, but my wife and I. So it's, it's hard. It's hard to navigate. Like I said before, you know, when I'm holding my current son, you know, I'm obviously extremely happy because I have a son and he brings me joy and he's a happy baby and he smiles when he sees me and brings you all the joy that being a dad brings you. But then you start to kind of waffle with yourself and back and forth. And you're like, ah, well, should I even be this happy? Because I still have a dead son. And it, it you know, it's blunt and it's, it's messed up, but you go, you know, back and forth with trying to balance all of the, the negative behind what you've experienced and all the obvious joys and positivity that you should have over being a father, because man, when your child smiles at you, I'm sure, you know, you know, when your kid smiles at you and babbles and coos when he sees you, man, there is, there's no feeling like it in the world. So it's, it's hard to not get too high into that toxic positivity, but not let yourself get too low because you're allowed to be happy, you know, just because bad things have happened doesn't mean that you can't enjoy what's happening now. Exactly. I couldn't have said that better myself, man. So tell me, man, how are you finding new fatherhood? It's, uh, it's, it's fantastic. You know, it's, it's hard. It's fantastic. It's easier than I thought, kind of weirdly enough. Uh, my wife has made the choice to exclusively breastfeed. Um, so I don't really have much to do. <laughs> this stage of the game i'll change the occasional diaper i also work you know i'm, I'm out at like 8 30 in the morning and home at 8 30 at night uh you know so i'm unfortunately out for a lot of it which again is a whole nother balance of yay i get to work so hard that my wife can stay home 
but I'm missing out on 12 hours a day, you know, um, but, but I love it, man. I mean, the house is crowded. There's baby shit everywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's diapers galore. We go through uh, no 10 a day. Uh, but, uh, but it's, it's awesome. It really is. It's awesome to come home. Like I said, to my foster daughter and, and my son, man, it's, I just come home and like one of the first things I do, cause she's generally just getting to bed. So I'll run up the stairs and give her a hug and a kiss. Good night before she falls asleep. And I'll come just chill with my baby for a little bit, you know, before I do anything else, before I grab dinner, before I do anything, I'm just hanging out with them for a moment. So it's, it's nice. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure it is. See, like my, my son is, is five and a half. And so obviously I've been, I've been there from the beginning to be able to raise him and that sort of thing. But how have you found the differences between sort of raising a five and six year old in the foster system and then sort of jumping back five years in fatherhood and, and raising a baby? It's crazy, man. Like you were saying, you know, you've been there with your son from beginning to end. So although each new day is a new day and a new experience each age, you know, at least you have, you only have one kid, correct? You only have your son? Yeah, just the one, yeah. So if you ever have a second one, at least you'll have some experience to kind of build off of. I went from zero to five back to zero. <laughs> it is, uh, it's complicated, especially because, you know, uh, foster kids, you know, tend to have behavior problems. Obviously, they're, they're not in your care because life was peachy for them, right? Um, you know, so, so she had a little bit of a learning curve and I find myself to be a little bit of a stricter parent. Um, I'm all, I'm like your stereotypical dad, like let's wrestle, let's have fun, you know, let's beat each other up. Like I'm all about that, but I'm also really big on respect and I don't like asking people twice to do things. Um, so we've had a, a little bit of a, a culture shock for her as far as that goes. She also found that screaming is not something that genuinely affects me as I've been a correctional officer and I've worked in EMS. So I do not care. <laughs> you can scream however much you'd like. You will not affect me. Um, you know, so it's, it's been, you know, learning to deal with a five-year-old. Now she's uh, six. Like I said, she's absorbed a lot of my personality. Uh, so she'll do what she's told, but she'll stand toe to toe with me while doing it. Uh, so <laughs> that has become a woosah. She's doing what you've asked. Stop fighting with her <laughs> kind of lesson on my end. And now I'm with a baby who has no idea what the hell I'm saying. And I can't, when he's crying, it's because he's hungry and I can't do anything about it or because he's tired because he's been up half the night and I can't do anything about it. So it's been a very difficult learning curve on, on how to deal with those two vastly separate entities. Uh, but it's, it's been, it's been, it's been a good ride so far. Has there been anything that's sort of come up that's thrown you a massive curveball, and you've had to step back and sort of analyze the situation and, and go, all right, how am I going to deal with this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just recently, as a matter of fact, not so much with the, with my son, because right now, like all he does is eat and shit and life is pretty easy that way. Uh, he doesn't have many curveballs to throw just yet. My daughter. Um, <laughs> my daughter had a disagreement with a classmate and decided with that disagreement that the other girl was apparently, they were both being obnoxious and like very sing-songy, I'm right, you're wrong, kind of, you know, as kids do. Decided that she wanted the other girl to stop speaking, so grabbed her by the throat. So I got a call from my wife, because I was at work, and said, hey, I just got off the phone with her school, and uh, this is what happened. I was like, all right, so background on me, I got in trouble a lot as a kid. I had a little bit of a rough upbringing. I was always in fights. I was suspended constantly. Um, now, obviously, I'm almost 30 years old. Life has gotten a little bit better for me. I'm not that kind of way because you can get arrested. Um, but uh, but it, it made life a little difficult growing up, you know, to kind of corral these behaviors. So, uh, you know, I find it something that I, I obviously care very much about. You can't go around putting your hands on people. That is not okay. Uh, you know, obviously, unless you're defending yourself, but let's get through the message. Don't put your hands on people and then we can get through the other stuff. So I came home and, uh, you know, she's obviously talked to the principal about it, the school counselor about it, the teacher about it, my wife about it. So she's done talking about it, but obviously we've got to talk. So I sat her down and I was like, look, kiddo, you know, before we start, I want you to know, no matter what, I love you. And I have your back and we can talk through anything as long as you are honest. I'm not going to raise my voice. I'm not going to yell, but you need to be honest with me because if you're not, I can't help you. I need to know what happened. 
Because the way I got the information is this girl disagreed with her. And once, just after that first disagreement, my kid grabbed her by the throat. And that just didn't make sense to me because my daughter's not violent. She's naturally not inclined for that. So, I, you know, I talked to her and she told me, honestly, they were going back and forth and she just finally got annoyed. So I was like, okay, so do you know what you can do next time? She said, I can get up. I can walk away. I can breathe, you know, all the right things. And I said, okay. She goes, you're not going to yell. I said, I'm not going to yell. But I need to tell you, we cannot put our hands on people. You wouldn't like it if somebody put your hands on their hands on you, and that's not okay. And people have the right to safety. You can't you can't just grab people by the throat for the love of God. And, like I know it sounds fucked up, but I would rather her just punch the girl because at least that's like a normal reaction. You just you grabbed her windpipe. <laughs> And so I, I impressed that upon her and she's gotten the message. It's been a couple of weeks and obviously we haven't, uh, haven't had that issue, but talking curveball, I did not expect to get a call at one o'clock in the afternoon while I'm at my job talking about my daughter grabbing another human being by the throat. <laughs> that was not a, that was a moment that I just kind of sat and paused and pondered what we were doing <laughs> with our lives. Yeah, I can understand that as well. Like my, my five-year-old, I sat down with my son. I went, look, if this is happening, go speak to a teacher, you know, and, and you know, or, or remove yourself from the situation. But if not, nothing, nothing else works, you have my full permission to throw them a couple of lefts, buddy. Like, go for it. No, I hear you. And that's that's the struggle, man, because I, I agree with you. I 100 percent believe in the right to self-defense. I 100 percent believe that if somebody wishes to put their hands on you, they have consented to have their your hands put on them. That's that's the natural law of things, I believe. And that's what I was talking to my wife afterwards. You know, we were chuckling that night and I was like, man, you know, I'm, I'm happy. There's part of me that's happy as a father that I know that my little girl, especially a girl in today's day and age, knows that you know if worse comes to worse she can always whoop somebody's ass and I, i'm happy about that but i would have preferred a not a choke uh, because that has a lot of <laughs> different connotations and b you know that it's it's violence only begets violence can't be violent because they were mean to you you have to be violent to defend yourself <laughs> you know and and we're going to be working on that once we get the whole don't put your hands on people thing through. Then we'll work on, you know, hey, here's a specific scenario, uh, you know, and my wife, my wife and I disagree. She believes in in throwing the second punch. Um, I was the kid who always threw the second punch. And let me tell you, getting the first punch hurts. I no longer having the jobs that I've had. Like I said before, I was a correctional officer at a maximum security facility, having watched men. um get incapacitated on the first punch i am more than okay with my daughter you know if if somebody comes running on up and intends to do her harm don't wait don't wait put your hands all over that person if you tell them to stop and you're backing up and they keep moving towards you with intent you put your hands all up over them and make them regret the day they were born but that is going to be a lesson for way further on down the road yeah yeah well that's right i mean we we're looking at putting him into um into martial arts soon so then he can he can learn that there's a time and a place and and that sort of thing i don't want to teach him just to be a brawler because obviously brawlers they've got no rules it's it's just go in swing in and, and take them out and uh you know that's just not the way i fly but yeah again once he's a bit older hopefully i can get him to understand a bit better and and we'll be able to handle that but no, and I hear you. And I think martial arts is a fantastic way to go. It's something that I want to do, you know, with my son when he gets older. And obviously with my daughter, you know, I think, like you said, discipline, time and place, you know, and and a, a mentality about it, you know, just going in swinging for the sake of swinging can get you hurt more than anybody else, even if the time and place is right. So having a plan and being able to get away, you know, one thing that I've learned as an adult in fighting is it's not so much about winning, it's about being able to get away, being able to fight your way to an exit and get out of the way before, you know, serious harm happens. So I definitely agree with, with that kind of style of mentality. So look, fill me in just a little bit, because I'm, I'm actually new to this whole thing anyway, but what have the challenges been with being a foster parent and, and having to go through the whole system? So, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's crazy. Um, so essentially, we're glorified babysitters. 
right? I, I'm, and what I mean by that is like our opinion legally doesn't matter. We don't get to legally make choices, which obviously to an extent I agree with and understand. Um, but it's 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 been a process. I mean, getting through it the first time you take classes, you know, they they look at your finances to make sure you're financially able to do this. Uh, they look obviously at your criminal history. They come through, they interview you pretty extensively. They look at your house, you know, they they'll every nook and cranny of your house, make sure that you, obviously you have working water and electricity and all the fun stuff, but you don't have just like knives and guns laying around. Uh, but, you know, and you go through like a physical health screening as well that I didn't realize, you know, you got to be healthy enough to be a, uh, a foster parent. Now, that's not to say you've got to be some athlete. I'm five, eight and 300 pounds. I'm not exactly the peak of physical health here, but, you know, you can't be on your deathbed kind of stuff. And then it's just kind of once you get certified, it's every day is second to second. You know, for all, all three of our placements, we got called at like three o'clock in the morning, midnight. You know, because it's just, it's random. When they first get placed with you, it's because they were pulled from their home in an emergency situation. Um, so our, our first foster placement was five days old, um, a five-day-old boy, which having our loss at the time, and then a five-day-old boy, <laughs> talk about a really uh, tough period of time. But uh, he went home 12 days later, and we're actually really good friends with the parents still. Um, they refer to us as aunt and uncle. So we fostered a really cool relationship with them. Um, he is now a year old. It's insane. He's out walking, and it was, it was, I didn't even recognize them. Then when they walked up to my house, my, my wife had to explain it to me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you get, you get calls. You know, hey, by the way, you know, court, we've got court next week. Hey, you've got to bring her to this doctor's appointment. Hey, we're switching her school. Hey, we're, you know, so you just kind of get told this is the deal and you kind of have to roll with it. So it's, um, it's definitely rewarding from the aspect of we've seen such a change in like my daughter, um, you know, and, and fantastic changes that even her school has come to us, you know, grateful that we're a part of her life. Um, which is, it's, it's heartwarming not to pat myself on the back, but it makes me feel like I'm doing a great job. Uh, but uh, but it is definitely as far as the system itself, you're at the mercy of, of I mean, the court systems, uh, CPS, whatever individual, because what I never realized is there's a lot of third party entities that are involved. So there's like, a, you know, obviously like counselors and stuff where she has two different counselors. In Pennsylvania, there's this organization called Justice Works. So they work with the parents and coach them how to be better parents. So that's another organization that we deal with. I never realized how many hands were in the cookie jar. And that's that's a lot. I've got about 30 new saved numbers in my phone that I can literally call at any time. So it's it's uh, it gets fast paced very quickly. I can imagine. And I mean, I understand all the red tape and the screening and all that sort of thing. But I think it's I think it's kind of nuts that you've really got to go through all of that in order to foster a child and get them out of a shitty situation. Yeah. Any old blo Joe blow can just have a baby, you know, and it's, it seems so backwards to me. You know, it's something that <laughs> I've pontificated about many a times. It just, it blows my mind um, as, as like dictatorship that it sounds that people can just, like you said, any, anybody can just reproduce because they can, and they want to, and that's just fine, you know, but you have to have a license to take care of kids. Cause that's literally what I have is a license to parent, um, you know, and, and obviously I don't think we should take reproductive rights away from people. I'm not advocating that, but it is, it is quite crazy that, uh, that just anybody can have a kid, but you have to be a, a special kind of person to to have a kid it's it's definitely weird yeah for sure so uh does does your foster daughter does she have any contact with her biological parents at all or like do you guys have to juggle those kind of meetings yeah so we definitely do um you know obviously with covid right now going on um unfortunately there's been accusations on other family members that have also hindered certain things. Uh, but she goes to, uh, we've restarted uh, in-person visits here uh, once a week. Um, and and we've told uh, biological mom that she's more than welcome to give us a call and video chat really whenever she wants to. Uh, Cause now every case is different, but we're not in a case where 
um, like phone calls have to be supervised by CPS, like we count as supervisors for those phone calls, um, you know, so that that can happen at any time, which mom doesn't take advantage of as much as we would hope she would, um, you know, because we've always said we're, we're, we're not in the business of taking kids. We don't want you to not see your kid. We don't want you to, you know, to, to have this kid taken away. We're just trying to provide a happy and healthy home while they need to be taken away. Um, and we've always tried to foster that kind of relationship. So uh, with physical visits, you know, it, it's a little bit easier because uh, CPS helps transport. Um, so they'll drive one way, we'll drive the other. And then, the, you know, the, the virtual visits are pulling up the computer and, and doing a Zoom meeting. So it's, it's not too bad. Yeah, cool. And so when you started foster, foster parenting, how did that change the, the outline of your household and how you ran things? Because I've seen, seen like on, online, you know, the, there's TikToks and stuff out there where, you know, like things in my foster home that just make sense and that sort of thing for, you know, emergency foster kids and that sort of thing. So, I mean, did, it, did the, the house itself have to change up a, a lot or? Um, yes and no. So we started to like have like what we call the go bag ready. So, you know, uh, just a bag full of a couple of toys, a couple of changes of clothes, depending, you know, that ranged from boy to girl and, and newborn to like five years old, you know, so that a, a kid when they came into our home, you know, there are so many things have been removed from them. So many choices have been removed. So at least like when you get here, you can choose what toy you want. You can choose your pajamas or clothes for the day. You can choose what toothbrush you have. So we, you know, we actually saw that on, on TikTok, I believe, and kind of copied that idea. Um, I enjoy drinking, uh, mostly liquor and whiskeys. So I had to put my whiskeys away and make them a little bit less accessible, uh, you know, because you don't want foster kids coming around and, and grabbing at that kind of stuff. Um, but, but other than that, you know, we just... We had a we have the spare bedroom upstairs that we generally used for storage, but then obviously once we got our certification, cleaned that out and had a had a crib in there and a toddler bed just in case, you know, depending on the age range. So not too much changed other than having spare stuff around just in case. Um, and my phone volume always being on because that's something that I never had on. But now that we can get calls at any time of day, you know, I have that on. Uh, but not not really too much has has changed because we've always hoped to have a kid so we've always been baby ready you know so we we kind of had that aspect covered yeah awesome well obviously look being a dad it can it can be it can end up being your whole life really and your whole life revolves around it now i've found that i need a hobby i need something for myself and that's why i do this because it's it's something i really get a kick out of you know talking to other dads talking to other men about just men's issues that sort of thing but i believe you're a bit of a football nut yourself so is that something you do in your spare time you like to get out and kick the football around or yeah so um yeah no i actually run a podcast a a sports podcast in general we really focus on american football the nfl here and i yeah i, I do that from like the hours of 10 p.m to like 3 a.m because that's the only time that i have you know like you were saying you know being a dad that really absorbs your life you know i, I come home from work and i want to make sure i put my wife and my kids first and then uh, I pay for what we call uh, what is uh, NFL Game Pass, so I can actually rewatch all of the games, like condensed versions. So I'll sit for a couple of hours a night, and I'll, I'll rewatch the games and and kind of do breakdowns on like TikTok or or just write myself notes for our upcoming episode and stuff like that, so I can speak intelligently about it. But yeah, it's uh you know, just like you said for for why you're doing this, it just kind of. You know, we've me and my co-host have always said, I don't care if anybody listens. Uh, I do it for me. I do it because I need something to do. I need something that keeps me occupied and keeps me from feeling just like a zombie dad, where all I do is live to wake up, to make money for the family, to change diapers, to to drive my kid around and then go to bed. Not like that there isn't joy in that, but, you know, it's important to keep your personality and keep who you are outside of being just, you know, just a father or just a husband, you gotta, you gotta keep you and keep some sanity about you. Um, and for all those dads out there who don't need that, you're a better man than me. And that's okay. <laughs> Cause I am not that man. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I, I'm kind of the same because I mean, 
I, I sit up here, get the headphones on, and I kind of, sometimes I feel guilty because I'm not there with my family and I'm doing bits and pieces. And, you know, sometimes, especially when I'm recording, you know, it's, it's, it, it affects the whole family as well because uh, my partner in particular, she loves streaming on Netflix and Disney Plus and stuff. So the moment I, I come up into the studio, it's, right, let's quit sucking up my bandwidth. I need it all right now. And so the TV will go off and, and that sort of thing. But I think it's really important to have a hobby because it is really easy to lose yourself in the day-to-day of being at work, working overtime, coming home. And, I mean, I cook for the family, so I, I'm coming in, I'm preparing dinner, I'm always fixing something that's broken, uh, whatever it may be. And so this is this is my moment to sort of have my me time in a way and and just sort of, uh, like I said, talk to other guys and, and not feel quite so lonely as well. Cause I don't have, I don't have any mates here in, in Sydney either. I mean, I've obviously I've got mates, but no, no real close friends. You know what I mean? Sure. Are you from Sydney originally? No, I'm, I'm originally from Perth on the West coast. Oh, okay. Yeah. So a lot of my friends and, and a lot of my family are still over there. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I feel you. Luckily where I live right now is like 30 minutes from where I grew up. Um, you know, but a lot of people that you hang out with when you're a kid, uh, I've moved all over most of the U S to be honest with you. So you lose contact with a lot of people, you know, coming back, I still have my core group of friends, but everybody's, you know, got their own life going on. A bunch of my friends are dads, you know, and so they've got a lot of stuff doing, you know, and it's hard to meet up, like you said, like this. And in the times that you can, you know, you feel guilty because you're away from your family. It's like, oh, you know, I know I'm enjoying myself and having a brew with the with the guys. But, you know, I I should be home and helping my wife. And I should. That's what I fall into is the guilt that like, my wife busts her butt. You know, she's she's trying to cook dinner and clean and and do all of these things. So any time that I go out and do stuff or I try and do stuff before everybody's in bed, I feel guilty because I'm like, oh, man, my wife just busted her butt all the time. And here I am having <laughs> having the time of my life and not doing my responsibilities. So it's like I said before, man, it, it's hard to balance those things and enjoy what you deserve to enjoy because you need to enjoy stuff. Absolutely. Well, look, man, before we wrap things up here, can you tell tell me and everybody else that's listening where they can find your podcast and uh, like, you know, when you drop, drop an episode and, and that sort of thing. Sure, man. Uh, so it's breaking down the tape um, and you can find us really everywhere. You get your podcast, Apple podcast, Spotify, uh, Google podcasts, breaker, anchor, all of those. Um, we're on YouTube as well. Again, breaking down the tape. Uh, we go live every Thursday to catch the Thursday night game. So I believe for you guys, it's probably like Friday morning or midday Friday. And, you know, we're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. It's all breaking down the tape. You know, you can catch clips of me and my co-host Hector just being a bunch of idiots. We drink, we talk football, we run our mouths. We're in fantasy football league. I'm actually in a fantasy football league with a couple of gentlemen from Australia, which I think is the coolest thing in the world. Uh, because I never thought that that podcasting would bring me, you know, international would, would have me meeting gentlemen like yourself, you know, and, and being in a league with guys that that aren't from the US. I, I think that's the craziest thing and the coolest thing in the world, you know, because they're up at four o'clock in the morning setting their lineups. And uh, I mean, it's dedication, man. These guys are dedicated. Yeah, it's it's quite funny, actually, like Australia over the last 30 years has slowly become more and more Americanized. A lot of, a lot of what's on TV comes out of America, you know? Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So there is a massive influence, uh, American influence here uh, to the point that it's been the last five, maybe 10 years that Halloween has started becoming popular here and people have started celebrating it because the, the attitude beforehand was, oh, it's an American holiday. We don't do Halloween. You know, but a lot of a lot of parents are now seeing that, that, hey, it's a bit of fun for the kids. And so more and more people are starting to dress up, go trick or treating, they're decorating the houses and, and and stuff like that. So I'm really not surprised that you've got some guys from Australia in on the fantasy league because, uh, yeah, NFL's starting to starting to get big over here, too. Quite often I see, especially Super Bowl Sunday, 
you know, there's a lot of people on Facebook and Twitter and all that. And there's quite a few here from Australia that are following the Super Bowl. I mean, it's not rugby. You know, I, I will say I'm a huge, obviously, I'm a huge football fan. I started a whole podcast around it. Uh, but I've always been enamored with rugby. I just can never catch it. And I don't know anybody who knows it well enough to explain it to me. Because I'm like, oh, that looks, I mean, it looks like he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. The guys, you know, the fans wearing their colors are cheering. So that looks kind of cool, you know. But I've always enjoyed catching the clips that I could. But, uh, you know, the NFL is closely related. So it's it's been, at least for me, it's been a joy. I love it. Yeah, I'll have to uh, sit down with you one day and introduce you to Aussie Rules football as well, mate. I love it. I love it. I'm down for it, brother. Yeah, Aussie Rules is kind of cool. It's it's like a cross between rugby and NFL in a way. You've got your kicking and your fast-paced movement with, of like the NFL, and then you've got the the big bumps and the tackles and, and all of that sort of thing with rugby as well, so... Uh, it's got the nickname of aerial ping pong, you know, because the ball just is constantly being kicked backwards and forwards. All right. Yeah, man, we're definitely going to have to link up for that. That'd be awesome. Yeah, man. I love it. That's that's my sport anyway. That's what I enjoy to watch. So it's a good one of those games that's nice, nice, fast paced and, and just keeps you engaged. Whereas rugby's a little slower and I get bored of it pretty quickly. And again, being being from the West Coast, it's a big... Australian Football League sort of uh, area over there. And so coming over to the, the East Coast, everybody's all about the rugby here. So I'm having to learn how rugby works, you know. Huh. See, I've always found rugby to be faster paced than the NFL because, you know, you get you get stoppages after every play. You know, a game is three hours long, but really the ball is only moving for 45 minutes out of those three hours. So as much as I love football, I've always found it to be slower paced. And I thought rugby was really like the fast paced version, you know, to, to simplify it down. Yep. It is. It is a bit like that. But then, yeah, again, you get Aussie rules and it's just. It's, it's play on, play on, play on. The ball is constantly moving. So that's what I love about it. Yeah, look, Zach, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. And thank you for reaching out, man. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, part of the the great thing that podcasting has brought me is being part of Facebook groups where, you know, I was blessed to see that post, man. I'm, I'm happy you reached out and happy we were able to make this work. I think what you're doing is fantastic. And and like I said at the beginning of all this, I hope it starts a lot of dialogues for a lot of people, even if it's just between them and their buddies, you know, even if no one knows that they're talking about it, at, at least hopefully it sparks a conversation that you know, fathers, no matter what stage of fatherhood, you're not alone. There's people out there that, you know, are talking like you. And if you ever need to grab a beer, man, you know, grab a beer with your buddies and, and talk about it. That's it, man. That's exactly right. Well, thank you very much, man. I appreciate your time. Absolute pleasure. I appreciate you bringing me on, brother. Thanks for listening to the show. If you want to find out more about today's guest, just check out the links in the show notes. You can follow the podcast as well on social media at Not So Secret Dads Business or on our website, notsosecretdadsbusiness.com. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please rate and review the show. It helps more than you realize. Until next time, guys, be the best dad you can be.